0: Thank you, Charlotte. Well, it is good to preach. I like preaching. I like teaching scripture. Certainly appreciate a couple of things. First of all, Wes and the rest of the worship band. Uh, That was truly a joy. Of course, I couldn't be part of it live, but I got to experience it later, and uh, I I do not enough express my gratitude and my profound respect for the worship band and for Wes and everything that they do and continue to do serving this church, Um, sometimes in ways that we see and we recognize and sometimes ways that we don't see. Uh, And so uh, I I thank you for that. Um, And I also thank Luke for teaching I'll tell you there's um there's few people that I turn to uh when I w- want to learn and I want to know and uh want to understand scripture fully and Luke is one of those people. And so I'm, I I always consider it a particular pleasure when I get to listen to to him teach. Now I I per- uh, think it's a pleasure listening to my dad teach, but I've listened to my dad teach for 39 years. uh <laughs> Some of those lessons were a little rough uh, over the years, but uh, add others, add others uh, the, the others as well. Uh, but uh, I certainly appreciate that. Um, I will I will say this though, and I, I say this so that if you're going through the same thing, you'll know that uh, you're not strange, or most of you will know you're not strange um, or alone in these things. My joy has been severely tested over the past month. Um, It is tested any time that I I don't have a chance to be here, but, um, you know, with all of the weird stuff, and I don't just mean illness, I mean all kinds of weird stuff, um, my joy is tested. Although, I think that walking through those things, you know, Taking, uh, taking one step every day, is the way to get through those. In fact, uh, one time when I was uh, learning how to, where's Andy? Andy was here somewhere. Where's Andy? Is he here? He in here? He was in here. Um, one time I was learning when I was learning how to fly, just just learning how to fly for the first time, and I remember getting sick. It was a real choppy day. I remember getting sick, and I told the guy I was flying with. I said, "Here, you need to take the airplane." And so he took the airplane, he said, well, why am I flying instead of you? I said, because I don't feel very good. And he handed the airplane right back to me. He said, here, take the airplane. I said, why? He said, there's only one way through that. He said, you've got to fly through it. He said, there's going to be a day when I'm not here, and you're going to get sick. You've got to fly through it. In fact, the more you fly through it, the less and less and less these things are going to affect you. And when there's hardship, difficulty, and struggle and trial in your life, there's times you don't feel like getting up, you don't feel like going to work, there's times you don't feel like smiling, you don't feel like laughing, you got to get up, you got to fly through it. Because that same thing might happen tomorrow, same thing might happen the day after that. And you're just eventually going to give up if you don't fly through it. I was walking out to our uh, little pond, our big mud puddle that we have out at our house the other day. And snow was deep, and it was hard to walk out there and you 've heard this analogy a million times, but it 's true. Sam said it's difficult it 's a hard job, i can 't walk, I can 't keep up. and I said, "What? Follow in my footsteps, following my footsteps you got people that 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 you influence, that watch you, that see you it's particularly if you 're going through something difficult. fly through it. I, there's days I don't want to get up. Fly through it, guys. All right, okay. All of this one day is going to come to this moment in this place where you think to yourself, "I kept going." There's a lot of people didn't keep going. I kept going. I kept moving. It's a challenge, but I think it's also an opportunity. That has nothing to do with the message today. Turn with me, if you will, to Galatians chapter 3. While you're doing that, I want to read a quote from uh, uh, someone that I, I read all the time, in fact. The quote is this, "'Let reverence for the laws be breathed by every American mother to the lisping babe that prattles on her lap. Let it be taught in schools.' in seminaries, and in colleges. Let it be written in primers, spelling books, and in almanacs. Let it be preached from the pulpit and proclaimed in legislative halls and enforced in courts of justice. Abraham Lincoln. In my home uh, growing up, there was understood, and, and you can probably imagine why, there was understood a great and deep, profound respect for the law. And these, many of them, the laws of man, how much more so should we have a deep and profound respect for the law of God, which we'll talk about later on today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love of Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has the love and the authority and the ability to stand for us, to represent us on the cross, to represent our shame, represent our guilt, and that we can put our complete trust in His sacrifice, in His resurrection, and in His forgiveness. We thank You, Father, that we have the chance today to worship You and to learn, to learn about an incredible thing that You have done In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we'll recap a little bit here in just a second, but before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Some of you know the answer to this, some of you might not. What do the Mosaic Law, the Levitical Law, the Old Testament Law, and the Old Testament Covenant have in common? Does anyone know? You probably do. Or all the Old Testament, sure. When people refer to these things, see, this is, this is to the analytical mind. They're not going to answer the way I want them to answer, you see. But when people refer to these things, they are referring to the same thing. Most of the time, they're talking about the same thing. Now, that's the, that's the, that's the catch with that question. Because if you're analyzing this, you say to yourself, well, they're not exactly the same thing. Well, you're right. They're not exactly the same thing. The Levitical law talks about the temple worship and and the Levites and and the different things that they need to do in, in Leviticus. The Old Testament covenant is not technically the law, but it's a part or it comes out of the law. Many things like that. The Mosaic law. Well, Moses didn't write the law, but he gave the law. And so they're not exactly the same thing. But nine times out of ten, if someone's talking about, if you're, if you're listening, if you're being taught and someone talks about the Mosaic Law or the Old Testament Law, that's usually the one I use, or the Old Testament Covenant or the Levitical Law, nine times out of ten, they're all talking about the same thing. This law that God has given and this law that parts of which we still adhere to today. This law was given to the Israelites. I say parts of which we still adhere to because the law had a certain purpose, and that law has now used its purpose or lived its purpose, and this is what Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 3. Now, in Galatians chapter 3, we talk a little bit about the law. Later on this year, we're going to talk about all of Galatians. Okay, so some of this stuff is going to be covered again as we get into chapter 3, but it's important that we set the stage. We'll recap what we talked about a couple of weeks ago here in just a moment. Paul says this about the law in chapter 3, starting in verse 23. He says, before the coming of this faith, that is our trust that we have in Jesus Christ, before the coming of this faith... We were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. Locked up under the law until this faith, this trust in Jesus Christ would be revealed many years later. Look at at verse 24. So the law was our guardian. Your, your, Your translation may say steward. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might then be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you, not through the law, not through adherence to the law, but through faith, through trust in Jesus Christ. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile or slave or free or male or female. Look, you're all one group. You're all one body here. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Isn't that interesting that that Abraham's seed and that Abraham line is the godly line of Seth? See, this is this connection that Paul's trying to make through Jesus Christ, not reliance upon the law, but through Jesus Christ himself. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's really no different than a slave, although he does own the whole estate. The heir, the one who's going to gain all of this, this kingdom of God, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father, until he grows up, until he matures. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, and that's an an important line, when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, we'll talk about that next week a little bit, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, that is to buy back, to purchase back, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Not separated, not distant not just allowed, but adoption as sons and daughters into the family. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son, that is God the Holy Spirit, into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out Abba. It's a very close, close title. The Spirit that calls out Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, church. You are God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir." We are familiar, some of us, with the Old Testament law, and we're probably not familiar with every detail, every small part of the Old Testament law. If you're anything like me, you're not familiar with those things. However, you are probably familiar with ten particular parts of the Old Testament law. You've heard these before. In fact, you can probably count them out as I say them. Many of you are probably uh, uh, committed many of these things to memory. Uh, God says this in Exodus chapter 20. He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me, not even yourself. Well, that's the trap we fall into today, isn't it? I'm not going to worship some man made idol boy, it's awfully tempting to worship ourselves, isn't it? It's awfully tempting to worship our wants. It's tempting to worship our pride. It's tempting to worship ourselves when we think we're being treated unfairly. Boy, it's easy to worship ourselves. In fact, we'll even worship ourselves in the midst of service. Do you know people even do that? I will serve so long as I gain from it. We worship ourselves so often. Don't fall into that trap. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below and bow down to it. Why? Because there is one thing made in the image of God. Do you know what that is? That's you. That's you. Why would you build anything else? Why would you construct something out of wood or, or clay or, or, or whatever it might be? There is already one thing built in the image of God. Not to be worshipped, but to be appreciated. You don't lower yourself, don't lower your dignity, and certainly don't lower the name of God. Verse 7, I'm skipping a bunch up there guys, sorry about that, I just want to move through these. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses His name. That is the name of God that is reference to God. This is one we need to read again and again and again, even in the church. Oh, my God. God, this is hard. Oh, thank God. I want to tell you something. You want to know the root cause of the depravity of cultures? This one. This one. It's not all those other things you're thinking about. The root cause of the downfall of cultures, this one. We eliminate reverence for God. When we overuse this address, this should be done with awesome respect should be done in the form of worship, praise, teaching, but not cavalierly, not as a byword, certainly not as a curse, right? Sometimes it rolls off the mind and rolls off the heart and rolls off the tongue so much that we even are numb to it. Even we don't realize we do it. My goodness, What is this picture of God then in our life as it begins to drop and drop and drop? Don't misuse the name of God. Verse verse 8, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Some people still do this. Jesus fulfilled this, yet others continue to do this today. It's perfectly fine so long as we don't think we are saved by that. Verse 12, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving to you. Verses 13, or verse 13, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, don't lie, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, as male or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor, don't be envious of others. But the law of church is much more than just these Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, though they are a part of the law. A good way to look at the law is this, and this is not broken down this way in Scripture. It's the way people have broken it down so that they understand it a little better. The law is a set of moral, ceremonial, and civil laws or rules or practices laid out and set forth by God to the Israelite people. Just very quickly, some examples here. The moral law, the moral part of the law, is based upon God's holy nature, based upon God's character. Okay, this is the Ten Commandments are in that moral law. As such, these laws are unchanging. All right, 2,000, 4,000 years ago, don't lie, part of the moral law. Guess what? 4,000 years later, don't lie, it's part of the moral law. It's part of the character, it's built upon the character and nature of the Holy God. And since God doesn't change, those laws don't change. Don't covet your neighbor's wife, you got enough trouble anyway, right? Come on, don't do any of that stuff. These things don't change, the moral law is based upon God and the value of these laws is considered by most people, at least Christians, they are considered obvious by reason or common sense. There will come a day when we don't refer to this as common sense, right? Uncommon sense. (laughs) Those of you who practice common sense, you now have a superpower. That's just the way it goes, okay? You're Superman. The moral law encompasses a lot of things. It encompasses justice and respect. It encompasses sexual conduct. It includes the Ten Commandments, and it also includes penalties and disciplines for not obeying these things, not obeying these ordinances. Now, just like everything else in the law, it doesn't save you, church. Keep law all you want. It doesn't save you. By the way, what saves you? Audience participation. What saves you? Faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. Know that. Believe in who Jesus is and what Jesus is, what He has done and what He continues to do. But these moral laws, they don't change, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. The ceremonial law, ceremonial law has changed. The ceremonial law really focuses our attention on God. and includes—and um, includes how the Israelites were to gain a right standing with God. I'm an Israelite. I've messed up. I've screwed up, I've sinned against God and against man. I need to go through a ceremony. I need to go through a purification. I need to adhere to and observe a festival in order to gain this proper standing once again with God. It talks about cleanliness and uncleanliness. It remembers the work of God in the life and nation of Israel. It talks about feasts and festivals in the law. It makes the Israelites different from their pagan neighbors. What we believe makes us different. Talks about dietary restrictions and clothing. I mean, all kinds of things that point to the coming Messiah. Good example of the ceremonial law that you'll find in Exodus 23. Three times a year you are to celebrate a festival to me. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days eat bread without yeast as I commanded you. This talks about this coming out of Egypt. This reminds the people of that. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv, for in that month you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. That's a great example of the ceremonial law. We've already talked about the moral part of the law. This is the ceremonial part of the law. Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial part of the law. We'll get to that next week. And then there is the civil part of the law. These are specifically given to the Israelite culture at that time, at that place, for that purpose. That's it. Okay? That culture, that time, that place, that purpose. That's about 4,000 years ago. This is the civil law. It's how people get along with one another, it's how they resolve disputes. It includes everything from somebody getting hurt by somebody else to somebody stealing to somebody getting killed. I mean, just all kinds of things. That's the civil law. Here's a good example of the civil law. God gets real specific. Exodus 21, if anyone uncovers a pit or digs one, this is in Scripture, by the way. You can look this up. You you could see God writing this down and say, okay, Moses, make sure you've written this down correctly. I'll go over it again. You can receive these in Exodus 21. It's just one example. If anyone uncovers a pit or digs one and fails to cover it up, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the one who opened the pit must pay the owner for the loss and take the dead animal in exchange. If anyone's bull injures someone else's bull and it dies, the two parties are to sell the live one and divide both the money and the dead animal equally, because it's just two animals going at it. Aha! However... In verse 36, if it's known that your bull had the habit of goring, yet the owner did not keep it pinned up, the owner must pay animal for animal and take the dead animal in exchange. That's a great example of the civil law. Yes, that's in Scripture. It was for that day, that time. I, I've never traded a dead bull with anybody today, I, and I'm okay with that, all right? I don't think I'm going to lose my salvation because I've dug a pit and someone has fallen. What's your bull doing on my land with my pit anyway? Right? The law has, was given to Moses on Mount Sinai during the Exodus, and it was bestowed through Moses to the people. And through this law, God entered into a covenant, an agreement. It's not exactly an agreement, but a covenant with the people. That's why sometimes this law is called the Old Testament Covenant. Again, it was given to Moses. Moses gave it to the people. That's why it's called the Mosaic Law. Obey the law and receive the special blessings of God. Break the law and face discipline and punishment. Does this seem harsh to you? Whenever we talk about punishment from God, we think something's wrong. How could God punish? How could God discipline? I thought God loved. I thought God cared. Many of you have children. You know a great way to express hate towards your children? Don't discipline. Don't punish. Don't care. Right? That's a great way to hate your kids. And there ain't anybody who wants to do something like that. You discipline, you punish, you teach, you correct. You don't punish for the sake of punishment, right? You punish for the sake of correction. Same thing God does to the Israelite people. I want you to be different, God said. I want you to be holy. I want you to be set apart from the people around you and from your neighbors. It's interesting, when we talk about the fall of Saul here in a couple of weeks, the Israelites actually said, we want to be like everyone else. The whole point of the law was to make this group of people holy and special. And so you obey the law, you receive the blessings of God, not the love of God. You receive special blessings from God if you obey the law. You don't receive the love of God if you obey the law. Because the love of God is why the law is instituted in the first place. God loves His children. He loves these people. He loves this nation. Therefore, He's going to institute the law with its disciplines with it, along with it. Same thing you do in your home. Same thing you do with your family. We do the same thing with Sam because we love them. So we've seen what the law is, but there's three questions that still remain. We'll cover these very quickly. Three questions that still remain. Number one is this, where is the law found? where is the law found? The law was found in the first five books of the Bible. That's why these books are called books of the law. The law itself is not given in Genesis, but you need to understand Genesis because it sets the background for the rest of these things, for the rest of the law. We find the law given in Exodus while the the Israelites are in the wilderness headed towards the promised land out of slavery in Egypt. It goes into greater detail and explains things more fully in Leviticus and Numbers. And then finally, there's a summary of the law in Deuteronomy. So you see a lot of things repeated. There's a summary of the law in Deuteronomy right before they go into the promised land. God calls Moses. You've heard the story before. God calls Moses to ascend Mount Sinai. God tells Moses, hey, look, Moses, I'm going to speak to you in front of all the Israelite people so that they will honor you, so that they will respect you, and so that they will know that you're my servant. Go back and prepare them to hear this. Moses tells the people to go. God is about to speak, and speak He does. He tells in His own voice to the nation these original Ten Commandments. And then the people, after hearing God speak, cry out to Moses, we don't want to hear this anymore. We're scared to death. We just heard the voice of God. Not even the full power of God. My guess is he probably whispered so he didn't kill him. This voice of God. They begged Moses to receive the law himself and then reveal it to them. They cannot handle this terrifying address of God. So Moses says in Exodus chapter 20, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance. While Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. You imagine that? Imagine being Moses. You imagine this thunder, this light, this lightning, an entire nation of millions of people terrified, and they all look at you and they say, You go up this mountain. What was he thinking? I don't even know if he could see walking into this. Boy, it'd be tempting to be scared. Wouldn't it be tempting to back out? Moses approaches the power of God and God addresses him. And you find first in chapter 21, God says, These are the laws you are to set before them. It takes 40 days for Moses to get this law. This was not an afternoon, okay? God didn't make a pot of coffee and say, Hey, come on, stop by for a minute. We'll write this down. I'll make some copies, okay? And you can send this back. Forty days. Moses is in the presence of God. So how or why was the law given to Israelites? That's where it's found in the first five books. How or why was it given to the Israelites? Dad talked about the flood. Pretty much wiped out everybody, except for Noah and his sons. Shem then continued on with this line. Out of Shem came Abram. Abram honored God in a day when very few did. God chose Abram, later changing his name to Abraham, to be the father of this special nation, that would know God, that would honor God, and receive the gift of the law that would be a steward for these people. You know why God chose Abram? Because Abram honored God. That's it. That's it. There were other people, but Abram honored, he believed God, he trusted God, he's even referred to as a friend of God, and so God chose Abraham. And so Abraham would be blessed with this perfect standard. And from this line, from this special family of Abraham would come Jesus, would come this hero that we talked about last week. That's what all of the Old Testament is, by the way, with the exception of maybe Jonah and maybe some parts of Daniel. The entire Old Testament is tracing Abraham's family. That's it. Abraham enters into a covenant with God. And the rest of the Old Testament is watching his family move, watching his family grow, change, make mistakes, learn from their mistakes, make their mistakes again, get punished, all kinds of things. That's the Old Testament. That's the entire Old Testament. Interspersed in there are some prophets to these nations, but that's what the Old Testament is. And so the Lord said to Abram in Genesis 12, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Listen closely now, another reference to Jesus Christ. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Later on in Genesis 15, God elaborates on this covenant. This covenant ceremony is done between God and Abraham. God chose Abraham pure and simple. God could have chosen anyone who honored him, but Abraham did. He believed God. He honored God. He submitted to the lordship of God, and through his belief was considered a friend of God. We're going to revisit this fact in a few weeks. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob, and Esau, Jacob whose name was God changed to Israel. Jacob had 12 sons. They became the 12 patriarchs of the nation of Israel. And all of this happened in a span of about 500 years, 400 of which they were in captivity in Egypt. God raised up Moses when they were in captivity in Egypt. Moses led these people out of slavery, out of Egypt and into the wilderness for 40 years because they did not believe, they did not trust God to go into the promised land. And while they were wandering, God gave them the law. He's carving out a nation. He's carving out a place. He's carving out a line for Jesus. You see, all of this history, church, is your history. You ever, what, what, is, what are some of the, the, the what's, what's the one with the leaf? Ancestry you got something? Yeah. For your history, for your ancestry, you can go to Scripture, church. You can see the line of Abraham. You see, this is what Paul talks about. Those who believe in Jesus Christ are Abraham's seed, are Abraham's line. What a fantastic history you have. What a fantastic story your family has. I envy you. It's a pretty cool story. I don't envy you. It's my story too. So we need to take the law. We need to respect the law. We need to honor the law. We need to treat it as important. Finally, what was the purpose of this law? Number one, it shows the character of God. This was a difficult law. It was a hard law, and the standards were high, and it revealed the holy character of an eternal God to Israel. What else is the purpose of the law? To set apart the nation of Israel as distinct from other nations. I don't want you to be like everyone else. Church, this is the same thing you are told today. But you, in 1 Peter, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. That's you. He's talking about you. He's not talking about somebody else. He's talking about you. Every day you get up, you look in the mirror, you get ready to go to work, God's talking to you. You are God's special possession. You make a mistake, you have a bad day, you have a bad month, you have a bad year, you get fired from work, you get this, you have this problem, all the time. you are still God's special possession. And you're supposed to be different than anybody else. So were the Israelites through the law. Dear friends, I urge you in 1 Peter 2, as foreigners in exile, sounds an awful lot like the Israelites, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from simple desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. They needed to be set apart. Number three, why was the law given for forgiveness through sacrifices? We're going to talk next week as to why we don't sacrifice bulls and rams and sheeps and doves and all these kinds of things anymore. But God offered forgiveness through sacrifices. He wanted to provide a way, number four, he wanted to provide a way for a community to worship God through faith. Isn't that very close to the way we meet together and worship together? Number five, provides God direction for physical and spiritual health of the nation. Don't we do the same thing in the church today? Number six, reveal the sinfulness of man. And this is really the crux of it. You cannot save yourself, church. And if you learn nothing else about the law, that's what you need to understand. You need to read through the law and you need to see... And find and know. Forget about the other parts of the law. Just look through the moral part of the law. Forget about the rest of the moral law. Just look through the Ten Commandments. Forget about the Ten Commandments. Look through five of them. I'll tell you what, forget about five. Look through three of them. The law encompasses 309 some odd laws. Look at three. We need to understand that we fall short. We need to understand that the law does not save us, yet the law was there as a guide. The law was there as a steward. The law was there to usher Abraham's family through history, all leading up to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This Old Testament is the revealed or is the concealed revelation of Jesus Christ. The New Testament, fortunately for us, is the revealed Jesus Christ. Do we need to take the law seriously? Absolutely. Absolutely, we do because of its purposes, because it is a part of our heritage and our understanding. We also adhere to the moral part of the law. But do we need to rely upon the law in order to save us? Do we get more good boxes, check boxes, than bad check boxes? Do we weigh our heart against a feather as the old Egyptians did? We believe in Jesus Christ and his forgiveness and his sacrifice. That is how you are saved. You're going to fall short on the law. I'm going to fall short on the law. I'm going to be so bold as to say you've already fallen short on the law. But Jesus never did. Next week, we're going to see that Jesus point blank tells you, I fulfilled the law for you. And this is this hero we put our hope and our faith in after the fall. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for our time. We thank you for the love that you have shown this congregation. We thank you also for this incredible law that you've given us. We thank you, Father, that we get to learn from it, but we also get to see that we can only be saved through Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, as we move forward to take these things seriously, but more than that, to take our hope and our faith seriously, to take our love for Jesus Christ. In this incredible forgiveness that He has given us, that we might walk out of this room knowing that we are free men and women, saved for all time and all eternity. Father, yeah. even though, help us live up to this righteousness. Help us live up to this state as a holy nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. of Super Bowl. Um, you know, I know a lot of people, I'm sorry, I, I never do this, I'm just going to do it for the fun of it. A lot of people hate him, but I just love the fact that Tom Brady's in the Super Bowl again. I love that. A completely different team, and just still doing that. I, I just think that's really cool that God gives that kind of skill to somebody, you know? I mean, it's just a neat thing. Uh, I hope you enjoy it though, tonight you can watch the game, and uh, uh, we'll meet again next week. Uh, be here Wednesday night, please, for... Uh, for Mania. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the joy that you've given us today. We thank you for the joy that we have this morning to worship you, to praise you, to know, to know that you're on your throne, to know that this is your world. This is your creation. This is your kingdom. Father, we ask that you help us to remember that as we leave this place through hardship, trial, struggle, difficulty, through inconvenience, through all kinds of things. Father, that we know that we are saved and we are loved and we are your special possession. We thank you that we have come to understand that. Father, put people in our path this week who need to understand that same thing, to see our life and see our joy, see our purpose, and know that they can be this special possession as well. In Jesus' name.